There we go. <laughs> it's just a DJ, don't worry. It's just gonna go. Cool. If the children and young people, no young people. So just the children, if they wanna go out now, if there's any. As Jude mentioned at the start, we're busy with a series on the gospel of Jesus Christ. And um, that last song we sang was just so, just contained everything of what the gospel is. And over this last week, we looked at what he did. And this week, we're going to be carrying on looking at what he did. And then Jude and Jill, they're going to be explaining over the following two weeks as to why he did that. But before we get into what we're looking at today and what I just want to go back to last week and just recap on what he did for us and what we looked at last week. And we looked at four things of what Jesus did. And the first thing we looked at was that actually Jesus was the creator. He created this world. He was part of God. He was part of creation at the very start of the world. He created us and he created this world. That was the very first thing he ever did. The second thing that he ever did was he came to this earth and made himself flesh us. He made himself man. He took on our humanity. He took on our tendency to sin. He took on our, temp- his, our ability to be tempted. And he became man and he became flesh. And we looked at how he overcame that as God. And the third thing we looked at was that he started his ministry and what his ministry looked like. How he went around and he just touched people and transformed people's lives. And then the fourth thing that we looked at is how he proclaimed that he was the son of God, and that as he spoke to people, he mentioned and he said all the time, I am this, I am that. And he so often referenced himself to being the son of God, the Messiah. And we we finished off by looking at how he was taken before the high priest. So just after Jesus was arrested, he was taken before the high priest and the council, and they were questioning, and they were asking all these people around, Who have you heard who Jesus says he is? And they were coming up with all these ideas and saying who they had heard Jesus say he was. And it was really inconsistent. And at that point, they look at Jesus and they say, who do you say you are? And at that point, Jesus could have been like, well, I've got so much inconsistent evidence here. I can just keep quiet and they're going to have to let me go because they can't really prove who I'm saying I am from what these people are saying. But Jesus stands in front of this high priest And he says, I am. I am the son of man. And we looked at what that meant. And Jesus is standing there and he proclaims his deity as God. And these guys, the high priest rips his clothes and then they go and they start slapping him and they call him for his persecution. And then they drag him off to Pilate and they want Jesus crucified because they're saying he has blasphemed and committed the crime of blasphemy because he is claiming to be God. He is claiming to be the Messiah. And that is where we got to last week. So now we are there and we are seeing that Jesus is standing and he's before Pilate and all these people want Jesus crucified and they're calling for his crucifixion. And the high priest is there and he's saying, Crucify him, crucify him. And Pilate is standing, he's listening to it. All these people are shouting at him. 
And he looks at Jesus who is being quiet. And he says to Jesus, well, are you the king of the Jews? Because this is who they're saying you are. Are you the king of the Jews? And, he's, and he turns to Pilate and all he says is, it is as you say I am. And once again, Jesus standing before Pilate says, I am the son of God. I am the Messiah. I am God in the flesh. And he makes that proclamation. And once again, this crowd, they start saying, we want him crucified. We want him crucified. And Pilate gives them this option and he gives them this choice and he gives them this choice between this guy, Barabbas or whatever his name was, I can read it later, who was a murderer and a bad man who had killed many people. And they had Jesus, this man who had never really done anything bad. He walked the earth. He healed people. He did kind things for people. But yet they wanted him crucified. And when they were given this option as to who Pilate releases, they chose that he released the murderer rather than this man Jesus, that even if he wasn't the son of God, was still someone who did great things for society and helped people within society. But they didn't want that because they thought that his crime of blasphemy as calling himself the son of God was so great, they wanted him on the cross. They wanted him dead. And that gets us to where we are now. If you could turn with me to Mark 15, verse 22 to 41, we are going to read the account of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. It says, Then they brought him to the place Golgotha, which is translated place of a skull. They tried to give him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him and divided up his garments among themselves, casting lots for them to decide what each man should take. It was the third hour when they crucified him. The inscription of the charge against him read, The king of the Jews. The crucif they crucified two robbers with him, one on his right and one on his left. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, and he was numbered with transgressors. Those passing by were hurling abuse at him, wagging, wagging their heads and saying, ha, huh, you are going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Save yourself and come down from the cross. In the same way, the chief priests also, along with the scribes, were mocking him among themselves and saying, he saved others, he cannot save himself. Let this Christ, the King of Israel, now come down from the cross so that we may see and believe. Those who were crucified with him were also insulting him. When the sixth hour came, darkness fell over the whole land until the ninth hour. And the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud, loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachani, you have forsaken me. When some of the bystanders heard it, they began saying, Behold, he is calling Elijah. Someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a reed and gave him a drink, saying, Let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. 
when the centurion who was standing right in front of him saw the way he breathed his last breath, he said, truly, this man was the son of God. There were also some women looking on from a distance, a man who were Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, the less, and Joseph, and Salome. When he was in Galilee, they used to follow him and minister to him. And there were many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. First thing I want us to look at today, what Jesus did was he was crucified on a cross. In verse 22, it tells us that they took him to this place called Golgotha, which translated means death. The place where they took Jesus, the person who died on the cross for our sins, they took him to a place called death, which is the penalty for our sins. They're so significant. Sometimes we just read that and we just think it's this place. But this place was named after the penalty of sin itself. And it was in that place that Jesus was about to set us free from sin. And we see that as Jesus went and as they took him to his place and they were about to put him on the cross, they offered him this drink which was a mixture of wine and myrrh, which was really strong. And they offered him this drink and he refused to take it. He refused to drink it because what that drink does, it was a drug that would kind of numb your senses. Not because these Roman soldiers had compassion on who they were crucifying, but because it kind of made their job easier because the person wouldn't wriggle and move as much because they were kind of desensitized slightly to pain. And because they probably weren't completely in their mind anymore because they lost part of their mind. They were drunk on this. And Jesus standing there, he decides, I am not going to take this drink. And this is significant because it is so important to understand that when Jesus did this, when God was going to die on the cross for our sins, he didn't want it to be in a state of being desensitized to what he was going to feel. He didn't want it to be in a state of not knowing exactly where his mind was and what he was doing. He wanted to be completely aware of every single little thing that he was doing on that cross. When all the other people on the cross next to him were probably not feeling as much pain about, he wanted to feel that pain. He didn't want his act to be something that he wasn't fully aware of. He wanted to know what he was doing for us as humankind when he died on that cross. He wanted to be full of his mind. And then it says this, it says, then they crucified him. And that's all it says. It doesn't say how they crucified him. I'm not going to go into detail this morning of how they crucified Jesus and the process. But I'm just going to tell you that it was probably, it was the worst death you could face. It was the worst kind of death the Roman Empire did was crucifixion. It was the most humiliating way to die and the most violent way to die was by crucifixion. And if you want to read more about crucifixion and how the actual thing took, how it took place, 
Go, go online, you can read all about it. All it says, though, is that they crucified him. And it tells us that it was the third hour when they nailed Jesus to this cross. And that means it was probably about nine o'clock in the morning when they nailed Jesus to the cross. And after Jesus had hung there for three hours, so in the sixth hour, darkness set over the earth. This thick darkness came over the earth. And that darkness is symbolic because that darkness represents the separation of man from God. That darkness represents how sin holds us in darkness away from God, away from the light of the world. And that darkness represents our loneliness in a life without Jesus Christ, a life without God. And this darkness hung around for three hours. I can just imagine as Jesus was hanging there on the cross. And as he was hanging in that darkness, he can feel the sin of the world start to weigh down on his shoulders, start to take weight. And then in the ninth hour, he cries out, Eloi, oh Eloi, lama sabachani, which means my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus wasn't crying out because he was in pain. Jesus wasn't crying out because he was suffering and people at the bottom were mocking him and hurling abuse at him. That is not why he cried out to God, why he was forsaken, because people were doing things to him. Jesus was crying out because in that moment, Jesus took on the sins of man. He was crying out because in that moment, Jesus became the sacrificial lamb. He was crying out because he had been separated from God. Two Corinthians five verse twenty one says. For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. He made himself sin for us. Jesus, the creator of the world, Jesus God, Jesus the Son of God, in that moment felt the separation between him and his father that he had never experienced before. And it was painful for him. And then it tells us that he drinks. Someone brought him some sour wine and he drank it. And then it tells us that 
he took his final breath and he died. And if we read the version in John, John 19 verse 30 says that in that final moment, Jesus cried out one word. And that one word in the Greek is tetelestai, which means it is finished. And as Jesus lay there, as he took that sip, as he was about to take his final breath, he screams out this word, tetelestai, meaning it is finished. And he wasn't screaming this out because he was relieved. He wasn't screaming this out because you know, he's happy that this persecution was over. He was screaming this out as a shout of triumph and victory for what he had just done on the cross. Because in that moment, Jesus had fulfilled the specific purpose for what he came to earth to do, and that was die for the sins of man. And he screams, I'm victory. It is finished. My purpose is done. Man is free from sin. And then the veil is torn. And this is so symbolic because if you understand what the Jewish temple would have been like, they would have had two curtains. They would have had an outer curtain and they would have had an inner curtain. And the outer curtain was a surrounding place called the holy place. And the inner curtain was surrounding a place called the holy of holies. And the Holy of Holies was where Jesus, where God's presence dwelt. And only the chief priest was allowed to enter the Holy of Holies. And he was only allowed to enter it one day of every year. And that was on the Day of Atonement. One day of every year, he was allowed to walk into the presence of God. And if he had any sin in him, he would have been fallen down dead. But on this day, Jesus dies on the cross and this veil is torn. And at the time that this happens, there would have been people in the temple getting ready to worship God. And the chief priest would have been drawing back the curtains of the holy place. And as he drew back the curtains of the holy place, what they would have seen is this curtain that was separating them and the presence of God torn in two. And for the first time, People who had come to worship God didn't have a barrier between them and the presence of God. And the presence of God was free for all of them to experience and feel. And they sat there and they worshiped God in His presence, feeling His presence. Jesus died on the cross so that we can experience the presence of God. That sin isn't a wall between us and God. You see, that curtain represented sin, the barrier between us and God's presence. And Jesus tore it in two. God tore it in two. He taught himself. It says it was torn, torn from the top to the bottom, which is symbolic of God tore that curtain himself. He died so that we can know his presence and be free from sin. The next thing 
how we see Jesus did, I want to read Mark chapter 16 in the first bit. said, when the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome brought spices so that they might come and anoint him. This was just after Jesus had been buried. This was on the third day. Very early on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. They were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? Looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away, although it was extremely large. Entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting at the right, wearing a white robe, and they were amazed. And he said to them, do not be amazed. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene, who has been crucified. He has risen. He is not here. Behold, here is the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. They went out and fled from the tomb for trembling and astonishment and had gripped them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Now after he had risen early on the first day of the week, he first appeared to Mary Magdalene from where he had cast out, from who he had cast out seven demons. She went and reported to those who had been with him. While they were mourning and weeping, when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they refused to believe it. After that, he appeared in a different form to two of them while they were walking along on their way to the country. They went away and reported to the others, but they did not believe them either. Afterwards, he appeared to eleven um, themselves as they were reclining at a table, and he reproached them for their unbelief and hardness of heart because they had not believed those who had seen him after he had risen. The next thing Jesus did is he rose from the dead. And what this does, the, this just affirms what Jesus said and confirms who he is. Because in Mark 8 verse 31, this is what Jesus told his disciples. He says, and he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. In Mark 8 verse 31, Jesus prophesies his own death and his own resurrection. And when Jesus walked out of that tomb, it affirmed what he said is true. And it confirmed who he was, that he was the son of God. You see, because only God has power over death. No man has power over death. Satan does not have power over death. Only God has power over death. And when Jesus walked out of that tomb, he had power over death and approved who he was. Not only did it prove who Jesus was, but when he walked out of that grave, he freed us from the penalty of sin. Genesis 2 verse 17 says, But from the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat from it you will surely die. This was the command that Jesus gave to Adam and even that God, and that if you eat from the tree that I'm telling you not to eat, the day that you eat it, you will surely die. And he was saying that the punishment for your disobedience and your sin will be death. 
And when Jesus walked out of that tomb, he took the penalty of sin away, which is death. We are alive in Christ because he is alive on what he did. That's the account of Jesus dying on the cross and his crucifixion. And when he died on that cross, he did four things for us. I want us to just look at briefly. The first thing he did for us is, these are maybe big theological words, expiation, which means he removed the sin and the guilt. He removed sin and guilt completely. In 1 John, John 1 verse 29, John the Baptist is telling about Jesus and he says, Behold the Son of God, who, Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. And we call this expiation. Christ took away our sins. He removed sin from this world when we believe in him. The next was propitiation. And this is, this is Jesus taking our place. It means that not only did he take away, remove sin from the world, but he also paid the price. He paid the ransom for our sin. He became that sacrificial lamb so that we no longer had to go and sacrifice lambs at a temple or do burnt offerings to ask for forgiveness. But he went on that cross and he died a death so that we could be set free from sin. He took our place. He paid our price. And these first two, you can see in that story how this happens. The first was expiation, and he's saying, why have you forsaken me? And that is God taking the sin of himself, on the sin of the world of himself, and taking it away from us. And the next was Jesus saying, it is finished. And that was him having paid that price for that sin. And the next thing that Jesus did when he died on that cross, he reconciled us to God. We can see that with the tearing of the veil in two. He reconciled us to God. No longer did we have to have a relationship with God based on laws and religion. But we could have a relationship with God based on being in His presence and a relationship with Him. That presence was free for us to experience when we come and we bow before Him and we worship Him. No longer was there that separation between man and God that was placed when man sinned in the beginning. That was taken away. God the creator was reconciled with man the created. Or the other way around. Man the created was reconciled with God the creator. Just, and we can have that relationship and walk in the presence of God just as Adam and Eve walked in his presence in the Garden of Eden. We can walk in the presence of God today. And the last is redemption. Christ redeemed us to himself. And he did this when he walked out of that tomb. 
Because no longer are we held by the bondage and slavery of sin, which is death, but we are free from it. And we are redeemed to Christ. We are washed by his blood. And when he redeemed us, he gave us his righteousness. No longer did God look at us and see us and see that we are sinful beings. But when we know God, when we know Christ, when we've accepted that, he looks at us and he sees a clean person who is walking in righteousness in the likeness of Jesus Christ. And we can have communion and fellowship with God. 1 Corinthians 6 verse 20 says, You have been bought at a price, therefore glorify God in your body. We are free to live for God. Let's not live lives of sinfulness or immorality. Let's live in the presence of God in freedom, in His righteousness, for His glorification, showing the world who He is. And then the last thing that Jesus did on this earth before he ascended up to heaven was this. Mark chapter 16, verses 14 to 20. I'll read from 15 to 20. And he said to them, to his disciples, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. He who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved but he who has disbelieved shall be condemned. These signs will accompany those who have believed. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will pick up serpents. And if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. So then when the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the word by the signs that followed. The last thing that Jesus did before he went up to heaven was he commissioned his disciples to go into all the world and make disciples. To tell everyone about him. To tell him the story of how he bled and died on the cross to reconcile them to God, so that they can know what it is to live a relationship in the presence of God, the creator of this world. And that is the same commission that he's giving to us. We are his disciples, and it is our responsibility, it is our calling to go into this world and tell people this wonderful message of Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross and how it has set them free. Because he is God and he deserves our glory and he deserves our praise and he deserves our devotion to him. And this morning as I stand here, I just want to challenge you. This is your God. This is who you serve. A self-sacrificial God who gave up everything for you, who took off the price 
the sin of this world for you so that you can know him and share him and tell others about him. So let's do that. Let's live in that freedom. Let's live in his righteousness. Let's live in the fullness of his grace. Let's tell the world about Jesus Christ. Amen. I think as the band comes up and plays, I just want to give a time for just response. If, maybe if you guys can just play quietly, no singing for a little while. And I think if everyone just takes a minute or two, we had two minutes, a few minutes ago, reflecting on the wall, but it would be great to take two minutes to ourselves reflecting on Jesus and what he's done for us. And I want to encourage you that if you are sitting here this morning and you, and you say, you know, I have not taken that decision to follow Jesus, but I feel like this guy's my Messiah, that he is my God and he is my Lord, I want to encourage you this morning to come to this front of the service and ask someone if they can pray with you. Yeah, if we can just do that.